you have to bear with me. Um, I was on my deathbed all week long um, and really, really sick. And now you're like, wait, I shook his hand today. I've been on antibiotics for five days and I feel good, although I can't hear anything out of this ear. So if you want my attention, talk to this side. And my voice is slowly going away. So I'm going to try and um, make it through without um, you guys not understanding a single word. First, I'm going to start some water. I always think it's awkward when someone with a microphone drinks. Have you ever noticed that? Sorry, sidetracked. They're always like, like are you going to hear the gulp or not? Do you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can't hear anyway, so it may have been really loud. Um, I have a confession. So um, I, uh, this is a confession that you guys should know about me. I watch Dancing with the Stars. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think I, I, the reason why I call it a confession is because it started many years ago in my house. Um, it was a, a really good friend of Jen and I's. Uh, they, she lives in Nicaragua now. Uh, they would always come over. And it would be girls' night to watch Dancing with Stars, and I would usually go do something else. But then I started hanging around because there was always better food that night, and um, and just kind of became like the joke was it was her, my wife, and, and our at that time our one daughter and me, and we were watching Dancing with the Stars. And, and at first I'll admit I was kind of like, oh yeah, okay, I'll watch it, whatever. But now I'm I'm kind of hooked. I'm not gonna lie. And you guys are, oh, what's wrong with you? There's a reason for this, right? Um, I've been watching it now, and we enjoy watching it. And and I I've been watching it enough that I. I'm starting to get to know the names of the judges and the names of the professionals and, and the names of some of the dancers. And, and I'm even, I even find myself at times watching and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, it looks like the footwork isn't that great in that one right now. And, uh, you know, oh, man, it's just not really getting it. Now, here's why I call this a confession, not because I watched Dancing with the Stars, although some of you guys are like, that was enough. Um, but <clears throat> because um, I really don't know squat about dancing. I might know, like, a couple words, you know, and I was like, I think in the salsa it takes more hip, you know, or whatever. And I, I don't know, maybe you're doing it wrong or something's, something's not right here. And, and I find myself critiquing them. And then the judge, the judge, who is by all definitions an expert of dance, will say something like, oh, I totally disagree with that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But here's how we know I don't know what I'm talking about. At someone's wedding, sooner or later, this is, gonna, this is bound to happen because I've convinced my daughters that I'm an amazing dancer, which is essentially just picking them up and throwing them all around, which is really fun until one of them gets hurt, and then we have to stop. Um, um, and I, uh, I, I know what's going to happen. Sooner or later, I'm going to be at a wedding, and there's going to be that moment, that moment for Brent to completely embarrass his wife and children and every other really guest at the place. And that's when I try to to dance. Like the two left feet is, is like an understatement with me. So I can't dance. But here's, see, here's the problem with that. I've spent enough time around watching this now and I've spent enough time seeing it. And I've even been to, you know, I, I went to, to prom, so I danced there. And um, I, I, <laughs> um, I've seen enough movies where dancing happens in, in wedding scenes that I, I kind of think I am a dancer. And, and the downside with that is that's a complete lie because I'm not a dancer. I promise you, I'm not even trying to be modest here. Like, I'm, I'm not a dancer. And the problem with that is, is that I would, I would assume now, because I've spent time watching Dancing with the Stars, that I know these judges and I know these dancers. Like, oh, he's, he's really good at this, and this is like his, he's going to win this because of, I have no idea why. Like, I'm trying to use the language that makes no sense. And sure, at some point, maybe if I, if I spend enough time not just watching it, but I actually applied myself and went to dance classes and did some of that stuff I actually may learn, but I really don't have a desire to do that. So you guys can go, Whew, you were worried about me. I knew it. Um, but the reason why this is an issue is that I don't really know what it means to be a dancer. But, but, 
because I've been watching Dancing with the Stars and I spent some time around it, I can talk about dancing. I can even talk to someone else about dancing. I can talk to my wife while we're sitting there watching and be like, mm, yeah, the footwork is it's just no good here. It's just no good. And really, I don't, I'm, I'm not a dancer. I don't know dancing. I, I have no way of making that claim. And my assumption is that all of us have something in our life that that's the case. My assumption that is that all of us have some form of something that we claim to be, but really we're pretending. We don't know anything about it. We don't really truly, when it comes down to the root, like if, if my life depended on, are you a dancer or are you not? I'd be like, I'm not. Sorry. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't at that point lie. But up until that point, if my life didn't depend on it, I could start believing the lie. And then, heaven forbid, I'm at your, your wedding or someone's wedding and I start, yeah, it would be a bad picture. Um, and so Jesus just spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working through that. And he just spent some time talking about what, what does it mean for a false prophet? And he tells us that, that for us to understand who a false prophet is, all we have to do is identify their fruits. Are their are fruits good or are their fruits bad? There is no in-between. And see, I, I think that for most of us in this room, we have something that we're pretending to be. And my fear is of the text we're in today, it's like one of my least favorite texts as a pastor. I, I absolutely just, I'm afraid of this text because it's incredibly harsh. It's very, very harsh. It's not an easy text to hear because what Jesus does is he takes, takes and says, okay, look at the external stuff, look at what's going on and check out the fruits and then he does what he's been doing this entire Sermon on the Mount. He swings it right back to your heart and says, okay, okay, let's, let's, let's figure out what's on the inside. And so it'd be silly for us to ignore what's external but he's saying what's external in this section, it's really what's internal and what matters inside your heart. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 7. Um, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will pass one out to you. We're going to read chapter 7, uh, verses 21, all the way through the end. And before we do that, the reason why I made this analogy about dancing and lying about it is that I think there are some of you in here, I'll just let the cat out of the bag so we can get a little uncomfortable. There are some of you in here that are lying to yourselves and pretending to be Christians. You're pretending to be followers of Jesus. And the reason why I can say that is not because I'm excited to say it, but because of what Jesus says in these next texts. And you've been spending a lot of time watching what Christians do, you've been spending a lot of time spending time around the church. Maybe your whole family was raised in the church and you, you've got all the church lingo down. You've got all the Christian words down. But you're pretending. You're lying to yourselves. And although when I go to some wedding and make a fool of myself dancing, at least I'm just making a fool of myself dancing. For you, if you're, if you're pretending to be a Christian, the consequences are so much greater. The cost is so much higher. So turn with me to Matthew 7, uh, verses 21 through 28. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name or miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them with will be like a wise man who built his, work, his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house but the, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. 
And when Jesus, Jesus finished these, saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And although we read the whole thing there, we're going to focus in on verses 21 through 23 today. There are um, three incredibly massive things that Jesus says in this first bit of text. I mean, these are, these are big ones. So if you hear nothing else today, you can rest in these three and, and chew on them for a while, and, and you'd be chewing for a long, long while trying to really understand and unpack what these three things, these cr- three claims he makes, actually means to us today, but what it would have meant to the Jewish culture in that day. And the first one is... is um, this is the very first time that Jesus, in all, of the, in, in all of Matthew, this is the very first time that Jesus calls God his father. This is the first time, every other time he's used father, he said he's your father, your father in heaven. He's saying, our father. This, this time he's like, my father. He's claiming his own, my father. That's his, his first claim. That's a really, really, really big deal because of the very next one he said. And the next claim is he says, on that day, and we'll get there in a second, on that day is a general term that every Jewish person would understand was, was in reference to the judgment day. The end, end time, when it was going to come, when we stood before whoever was judged, and what he says is, on that day, you will come to me. And so Jesus, right now, lays everything out and says, I'm judge. You're going to have to stand before me. This is who you're standing before. That is a huge claim. That is a massive claim in, in, in this text because Jesus is saying, not only is God my father, but you're going to stand before me. And I'm the one who will claim my possession and depart those who are not mine. And you will stand before me. And then the third one is what we're going to get in the text is he actually identifies himself right now as Lord. He says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And that term, that's a... Um, that's an oral confession of Jesus as Lord. In that, t- in that day, there would have been other people that were lords, but not Lord, Lord. So when you see Lord, Lord together, it's essentially saying that you are a man of power, of, of sovereignty, of, of distinguish, of authority. The primary idea is that Jesus is the one in possession of everything. And so he's saying that people come to him and they actually believe he's Lord. And then they do these things, and, and many of those people, not all of them, but many of those people, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And so Lord, Lord is, is, is a language that honestly you and I should be using. I, I, I struggle with this because a lot of times in, in the church, in the American church, it's when, when uh, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my friend, Jesus is my lover, and all those things are true, but we forget that Jesus is our Lord. And right here he's saying, I'm Lord you will refer to me as Lord. I'm rightful king. I'm the one in place. Stop making me less than I am. And some of you, that's, that's the issue. See, the warning Jesus is supplying here is, is to people who speak or say things to Jesus or about Jesus, but don't really mean it. Not that they think that Jesus is evil, but they don't really mean it. They say, oh, you know, yeah, yeah I... I I, I love Jesus, but then nothing in their life shows that. They say, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus because, well, well, how come? Well, I go to church every single week. Or, well, okay, I'm, I'm you know, two-thirds of the month at least. I'm there more than I'm not. He's saying this is a, this is a profession. Essentially what it is, it's, it's taking the Lord's name in vain, actually, by, by professing him as Lord but not actually believing it. 
And so he's saying there are people, many people, this is why I don't like this text, many people who will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, meaning I believe Jesus, you are Lord. And he says, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. On that day, is, is Jesus draws our attention to the judgment day. It was a common term. Every, every, like I said, everyone would have understood on that day and what that meant. With mostly one, there's many texts, but Malachi 3, 17, 18 talks about it. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And this is where this verse gets so, so tricky. Because last week we talked about, do you have fruit in your life? Do you see fruit? Do you see good works happening in your life? A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. And so we talked about our works and what these guys do. Now, when these people come to him, they claim some really big things. They, came to, they come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and then they ask a series of three, three questions, and each one, they begin with Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these amazing miracles in your name? Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time when I'm looking at things I do, I'm not really seeing a lot of casting out demons and a lot of miracles happening in my life. Although, maybe there's some things that happen every now and then. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. There's no way. But what I'm saying, is, and then predominantly, most of us wouldn't go to something so extreme. And you know what's incredibly intriguing about that? Is that Jesus does not deny that at all. He doesn't say, no, you didn't do that. How, no, you didn't. Essentially, what he's saying is that, that those actions were real. They could have been done because God allowed an evil person to do it, which we see biblically in Samuel and in, in, in the New Testament as well. They could have been done as the devil giving them power to do miracles, which we see biblically as well. Or they could have been fake miracles or fake things that really didn't have any fruit or any truth to them, but looked like it. Any three options are possible. Jesus does not deny the fact that they did it, and that's what scares me the most because our lists aren't prophecy or uh, cast out demons. Our lists are, I went to church, I gave some money, served some people. I was nice to that guy today. And we start looking at, we start adding our list. Our list is, and not that our list is bad in comparison to that, but, but it's not as extreme. Those, uh, anyone who prophesied, they knew were set a man, there was this person, this man or woman was a person to speak on behalf of God. It was not a, hey, any, anyone just do this. It was a very, very big deal, and they claimed all that, and Jesus did not deny any single act of what they did. You know what I also love about this is it wasn't like Jesus didn't go up there and they said, did we not? And he goes, oh, I totally forgot you did that. I, I'm, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I wasn't paying attention on that day. I, you know, it was a long day. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't confused by what list they brought, which is, which is the, the part that's incredibly important to understand. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, no, you didn't do it. He didn't say, he didn't say well, I, I missed, missed it. Or, he, he, you know, it was even better. He didn't say, oh, you know what? That was some pretty cool stuff you did in my name. So, you know what? I forget it. No. He answers in regards to none of that stuff. He says, I never knew you. 
I never knew you. I don't care what you did. I don't care how good your rap sheet is. I don't care how, how many things you've done. I never knew you. And then he utters those words, depart from me. I'll define depart. It means go away. It means you're not welcome. And Jesus, again, is doing in twos. You're either a part of God's kingdom or not. He says, I never knew you. Now, to know is an incredible thing. To know is, is um, a Hebrew idiom that represents intimate, intimate relationship. I mean, intimate relationship. It's essentially, it's, Jesus didn't say, I didn't, underst- I didn't understand you. It's no, I never experienced you. I never knew you. I never, I never had an intimate relationship. In fact, this same word is used all over the Bible for a husband and a wife. Husband came to know his wife after marriage. It is, it is speaking of sexual intercourse, the most intimate a relationship can be. And Jesus is saying, I don't have that intimacy with you. I didn't know you. I don't know you. I depart from me. So it's not like Jesus is up there going, oh, man, I don't know this Bren guy. Who is this guy? Where, where, now tell me more about you, Bren. Tell me more of what you did. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. See, here's the thing. Jesus knows you. He knows you very intimately. In fact, he was a part of the process of knitting you together in your mother's womb. In fact, I would argue that no one knows you as well as he does. Jesus knows you, but he isn't intimate or experienced you. And see, here's the thing about lying to ourselves and pretending, is we put walls up, and we, we think we're protecting people from our junk by holding it inside and, and, and keeping them at distance, when really what we're saying is, you can't know me. I can't be vulnerable for you because I'm afraid you will eject me. I'm afraid you don't like me. I'm afraid it will hurt too much. What Jesus is talking about is this is the, there's no wall in between. There's no break. It's the way that I designed marriage to be is what Jesus would say. This is the way, this is the way that relationships are supposed to happen. You realize that like as, as Christians in church, just bear with me, it shouldn't be, hey, how you doing? I'm good. And pretend when, when your life's falling apart. It kills me. It kills me when a friend or someone comes to me and tells me like this grenade of what's falling apart and it's been going on for all this time. It's like, what? Speak up back then. Let's walk together. Let's be real with each other. See, the problem is we lie to ourselves. We pretend to be followers of Jesus. And the only and here's the worst part. We can get others to believe it. You'll fool me all day long. You'll fool your spouse. You'll fool lots of people. And the scariest part is you'll start believing it yourself. But you know who you've never fooled? You've never fooled God. On that day, like I said, Jesus is going to be like, wait, now what did you do, Brent? He knows everything. He knows absolutely everything. In fact, we can test. You want to know what I love about doing life with people? Is that God can test some of his theories on you. And and here's, here's the point. If you struggle with vulnerability with people, I guarantee you struggle with vulnerability with God. If you, if you have a hard time being real with people that are closest to your spouse or someone else, do they actually, does your spouse know you? Gonna be a bunch of fights today on the way home. Do you know me, honey? Oh, no. You're welcome. Have fun with that. <laughs> the, the point is, is that we're, we're meant to be known and to know. 
and not just head knowledge. Experiential, intimate relationships. Jesus is saying, in essence, is I know all about you, and you may know all about me, but I have zero experience with you. This is key. This is key. He's not saying, oh, I did know you one point, but then you kind of walked away in your 20s. <laughs> this is very key. He's saying, when, when you know me and I know you, there's no separating that. There's no hiding. Intimacy is there. I never knew you. And then he says, depart from me, practicer of lawlessness. Lawlessness is, is continuous, or, or to practice lawlessness is continuous, regular actions that are against God's word. It's individuals that would say, I love God, but don't want to do what he asks of me. It's individuals that say, I am a follower of Jesus because I don't like the Christian word because there's too many hypocrites around that, so I'm a disciple. Make it more hipster or something, right? It's, it's the same thing. A Christian just means little Christ. Right? So it's, 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 a, it's a term, whatever. You say it, but you don't practice it. Lawlessness says, God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my contrary desires. And he's saying continually practicing lawlessness. Now here, here's where we got to be careful. Because some of you in here right now are going, do I know Jesus or do I not? I don't know. And I would say, man, I'm glad you're asking that question to some of you. In fact, Jesus says many of you. But practicing lawlessness is a an area of your life that you will not surrender to God. And, and, and here's what I know. There's going to be struggle in your life. There's going to be fears and pains and hardships in your life. But it's a willingly, I don't want you to have that, God. It's alcohol, where you continually drink more than you should. The Bible says, do not be drunk. Be led by the Spirit. How in the world is tipsy or drunk following God's commands? Sexual immorality? Well, he didn't say porn in the Bible, so maybe I'm okay. And I'm not really doing porn. I'm just watching some rated R movies with a lot of risque stuff. Practicing lawlessness in your life. And you know how you know you're practicing it? Here's how I can tell you. If you want to know, to discern whether or not you're practicing lawlessness or not, is have you kept it in the dark? As, that's as clear cut as it can be. Oh, no, 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 okay, you're right. You know what, he said it. He said porn, I, sh I should run from porn. I won't do it today. And you make a confession today and then 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. tonight, you fall apart. You want to lose, you want to see that, that sin that you have right now carrying around on a leash and petting it and naming it? You want to see that thing die? Bring it out in the light. Open up your chest with someone that you, that you know around you and let them truly know you. Darkness loses its power when it's revealed in light. Run from that darkness. Don't keep practicing lawlessness. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't give us that like third option here. Well, there's those that, 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 that do the will of the Father, my Father, and there's those that practice lawlessness, and then there's those who want to do the will of my Father, but man, they just really struggle practicing with lawlessness all the time. He doesn't say that. I'm not 
saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you won't mess up. I'm not saying that sin will not be present. Our flesh is going to eat at us. It's a war that we are to wage with it. See, Jesus takes us from, from works and he swings the pendulum right back to our heart. And he asks this very, very simple question. Do I know you? Do I know you? See, Jesus is, is less worried about what's happening on the outside, although if nothing's happening on the outside, it's a really good indicator that nothing happened on the inside. But he's saying, stop that. Stop saying, look what I did. I went to church. I'm, I'm nice to my wife most of the days. I, I didn't beat my kids today. Like, stop making lists. What's going on in here? And he comes right back to the core and says, I want to know you. And I want to be known by you. See, when, when God brought Jesus onto the scene, he instantly turned everything upside down and allowed us to be in this intimate relationship with God. It was impossible to happen aside from that. So stop practicing lawlessness. Stop minimizing sin, excusing it, sh shifting it away and saying it's not a big deal. Or maybe the better thing to say is just stop lying to yourself and say that you really do call him Lord, Lord, but you don't believe it. Own that. No man is, is saved by works. We're saved. We're saved by the work of Jesus Christ in us. No matter what righteous sounding words I say or religious works, it's never a substitute for right living. Right? It, it isn't. And the problem is, is a lot of us are seeing fruit. We're saying, oh, this is good fruit, like I stopped and helped that guy on the side of the road, or, or this, this is good fruit, like I gave some money today, and I, you know, this, this is fruit, and we're, we're, we're looking at it and saying, see Jesus, see, see, look at me, pick me. And he's saying, man, in your flesh, it's nothing. I love this text, we're not putting it on the screen, because I want you guys to turn there with me, if you will. Philippians 3, um, verses 9, or verses 7 through 10. Um, I love this text because, because Paul, is, the Apostle Paul, is, 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 is telling him, like, rejoice in the Lord. He's just, he's kind of, he's teaching the Philippian church, <clears throat> like, what to do and how to go through things. And then he's realizing what's happening in the church is, is very much what's happening here. People are starting to boast in what they do. They're starting to look at their actions and go, well, look at who I am. And still in the church, there are, there are Jewish Christians that are saying, well, because I'm of Jewish descent, I'm higher than you Gentile Christian. And we do that here. You want to know how I know we do that? Because I do it too. We all do this. If there's an area in your life that God has been pretty victorious and you see someone else struggling, you may at some point have that thought like, well, at least I don't have to do that. You kind of get higher than them. Come on, I know you do it. Don't judge me. Like we all do this. Come on. The point is, is that we all will look at works and start teetering ourselves up on who is better than others. We start looking at the rap sheet. Or we look at the rap sheet. Well, my negative isn't as bad as that person's negative. This sin isn't as bad as this sin. Like, that really matters. 
And so what Paul does is he's, he's telling him, like, stop that. That's silly. And then he goes into this big rap sheet of, like, you want to know who I am? If anyone has any reason to boast in the flesh, I was, I, was, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the most zealous one ever. And he, he goes through this long list of things that honestly is incredibly intimidating to anyone that was probably listening to that. Whoa. I don't have any of those things. I got one or two. And he had this long old list of how he was a great Jew. And then I love it in verse 7. Picks it up and says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Anyone got their Bibles? What's the next word? Knowing. The surpassing wonders of knowing. Do you see that? It's not about, it's not about what I did or how awesome I am. It's, it's knowing him. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. My Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's manure. That's poop. That's Really, really bad stuff. So he's saying everything that was good on my rap sheet is, is manure compared to Christ and knowing him. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Is, okay. And gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here it is again, guys, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See what the Apostle Paul's doing? He's saying something that unfortunately many of us are unable to say. Many of us like Jesus. We like spending time with him occasionally on church services. We like going to church. But we don't have the desire to know him. And Paul says, everything else is, is poop compared to just knowing him and being known by him. And see, my fear is, listen to me, my fear is, is that there are many of you in here that that's lost its value on you. You don't see any value in being fully known by God and knowing Him. Because you're so busy lying to everyone around you to make them think something different about you so you can have a reputation that means nothing compared to an identity in Christ. We keep lying and lying and lying and pretending and the end result is the very one we've been lying to try and protect to be with is going to say some very, very harsh words to you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Stop lying to yourselves. You might be able to be fooling others, and unfortunately you're probably fooling yourself, but you have never once once fooled God. You realize that he's never, he's never shocked by it. And that's what I love about it. 
is what these people coming to him, look what we did, as if he didn't know. He's omniscient. He knows everything. You're lying to protect people around you, and, and what it's doing is putting a wall in between you and them, and you are not able to be vulnerable or real or ever to be known. Intimate, experiential relationship is what Jesus wants for you. He wants that for you and him and for you and other believers. Stop lying. Stop pretending. Stop thinking you're, you're powerful or strong enough to take it on your own. You're not. The best way to be known by Jesus is to know and to know him is that, is that it's tied around this little verse that was tucked in this section that I'm actually going to say very little to none about. He says very quickly, very clearly, how do we enter into his kingdom? He says, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will claim as his possession that day. You're his possession if you're in him. Mike's going to talk extensively about that next week. But every genuine believer has been purchased and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus and now is rightfully his sole possession. Those who were never born again called him Lord, but still lived like they belonged to themselves. In other words, they said Lord, Lord, but their lifestyle and actions showed absolutely different. So my question for you is, are you known? To confess him as Lord and not obey him is to take his name in vain. Do you realize that? So their obedience has to follow. Fruit will show, but it starts not with what it comes out of you. It starts with who you are with him and your relationship with Jesus and being known by him. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing some more. Before we do, I just, I, I can't help but shake the fact that, that I'm assuming that this, if you have anything in you that's beating blood right now, that this verse doesn't sit easy in some regard. Most likely, for a lot of you, you're probably condemning yourself. And I just want you to know that those who are in Christ, it's very clear that there is now no condemnation. So stop it. Um, but then there's some of you in here that have that, that been saying, Lord, Lord, you've been calling Jesus your Lord. You've been going to church for a long time and you've been hanging your hat on just being around Jesus and learning about Jesus. And he's saying, would you please come know me? Experience me. Stop pretending. Let me, let me just say this to you. I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of you have been around Jesus for so long that even saying I've been pretending this long was a fear of what will everyone else think. Who cares? Who cares what everyone else thinks? Jesus is saying the best thing that could ever happen for you, Paul reiterated the best thing that could ever happen is to be known, to be fully known by God and to know him. So why are we chasing anything else? Why are you, why are you running other things to try and fulfill that. Heavenly Father, these words haunt me. I want to be known by you and to know you, God. That is the desire of my heart, and I pray that is the desire of every heart in this room. God, that we wouldn't get distracted or confused by anything else out there, but God, that our hearts and our desire would be to, God, know you. 
know you and not know about you and not be able to talk about you and not be able to have all the right answers, God, but that we would truly be fully surrendered to an intimate relationship with you, the most intimate relationship known biblically that you, you claim we can have with your son, Jesus Christ, who on that day will stand to us and say, come to me, child, or depart from me. Father, I pray that, that it's not some fear of some distant declaration that Jesus makes that moves us towards knowing you, but it is, it is that we truly desire to love and know you. God, would you break our selfish, prideful hearts? God, would you break us to repentance of our lying and pretending? It is exhausting to pretend and to lie in life, to all the people around us. It's exhausting. You don't know when you need to tell or when to be guarded. It's so much easier to just let go. Be real. So God, I pray that that would be what you do in the hearts of everyone here. I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of being real and vulnerable. And God, I pray that you'd start with your son, Jesus Christ, in us. Pray that you'd bring us to an intimate relationship where every, we hang on every word you say. We desire every minute of the day with you, God, where we, where we truly, truly love you. Father, may our lives be marked by knowing you and being known by you. We love you, Jesus. We love what you've done for us so that we can know. We love that you're doing in us so that we can know you more. God, we love experiencing you. I pray that would be the cry of all of our hearts. Father, for those that are too afraid to be real, that are too scared, that are running from you, that are just coming to church to appease something, God, would you just break their hearts? Break them down. Bring them to an intimate relationship with you, and then when everything else around them falls down, and you ask them the question, am I enough? They can utter these words of absolutely. Everything else is dung compared to you, Jesus. We pray all this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.